welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Two more weeks of on-location episodes. This week we head to Enid, Oklahoma for the NJCAA Division II Championship. Enid does a phenomenal job of hosting this tournament. It's truly a mini Omaha. The NJCAA and the town of Enid provide a phenomenal student-athlete experience. In this episode, we'll hear from Murray State's Sam Bjorling, Lansing's Stephen Cutter, Heartland's Chris Razzo, and Enid Sports Director Bill Mayberry. Pearl River's Michael Avalon and I sat down, but went so long he'll have his own podcast coming up in the next couple of weeks. Congrats to Pearl River for taking home this year's championship. Once again, thanks to all the coaches who took time to sit down with me. It's an extremely hectic time for coaches and can't thank them enough for carving out time out of their busy schedules. Let's welcome everyone to the podcast. All right, here's Sam Bjorling, uh, Murray State head coach, but you and I go way back. I was thinking about that yesterday. Out of 20 plus years, we probably go back to only almost. Yeah, yeah, back to Iowa City days. Yep. You know, I mean, which is yeah, where I kind of started coaching high school baseball. I mean, what did that area mean to you with the guys that you're around, Dennis Canoe, Brian Miller? I mean, they, we had a bunch of good coaches in that area at that time. Um, those guys are big influences on me, really. I mean, I mean, really, first couple guys I called, we made the series. You know what I mean? Um, a couple guys that took a young 20-year-old who was a little wild and and really kind of taught me about coaching, but taught me how to be an adult and. And just, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am without, for sure, Dennis Knoop and Brian Miller. What were some of those conversations when we first get into it? I think we all need mentors. So what were some of those first conversations with them? Like, hey, this is how you go about things coaching-wise. Well, you know, with Dennis Knoop, he, he would always just, you know, he took me to the first ABCA convention, you know, and he was just always big on the day you think you know everything is the day you got to get out. And, and, and honestly, that was a tough thing for me to grasp as a 21-year-old, 22-year-old. But... You know, as a, as a 40 year old, it makes a lot of sense. And, and, but that really, just kind of getting that learning mentality, I'm not sure I had that. I just thought we knew, you know, you know it all. That was, that was really big time. And then just with Brian Miller, just being around him, and he's just such a, I guess, elite communicator. You know, the guy, people gravitate towards him. And, 
he can connect with people. I think that's right. the thing that's always stuck out about Brian is he's able to connect with players extremely fast. Right, right, and that was big, and that was in, in just even me not being maybe at the level he was at or, or being uh, being where he was just to just to stay with me and, and, and be on my level and kind of bring me up was big time. So, what coaching summer ball do for you? It taught me a lot about on-field coaching. I think day-to-day, day-to-day coaching. Um, you know, I spent four years in the Northwoods League Duluth Huskies, four of the best summers I ever had. Um, I wish I could go back and do it now. Um, and you become such a better in-game coach, I think, and and you learn also. You got all these guys from different programs, and and you're not, and they may teach different things. So you're really not trying to mess with their mess with their mechanics or their swing too much, but you got to get them to produce. And so it, it really teaches you to focus on maybe the more the mental approach and, and just making small adjustments. And, and that's been big time in, in our program at Murray State too. That make a little easier transition as you come to a head coaching job because you did do it in summer ball? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, it's, a, it, you know, the first couple of years head coaching is a lot, you know, I mean, it really seemed like it was going very fast, but, uh, but uh, it, it, does, it does make a little bit of a difference for sure. Was it easier transition head coach into Murray State because you're an assistant there? For sure, um, and, and again, it was tough. I mean, it was it was a tough first couple of years, but I was really really lucky. I was there four years. We had a lot of success. There was kind of a blueprint for me, and really, my mentor there, Zach Crabtree, who you know who was you know really brought the program to where it is. He was just down the road, 40 minutes, and and um, and honestly, when we worked together, it was more of a just call at night about recruits and what we're doing and there wasn't much of a relationship besides you know work and then it really has become a really good friendship since then you know and calling every day how you doing how you doing and it's I mean I don't know how you I could have done it without him you said the blueprint was there did you make any adjustments with the program when you when you took over as head coach just I just had to be myself I'm not Zach Crabtree you know I, I had different personality and 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 so I, I guess we kind of took that um we took that and and uh and went with it, but just I would just just be myself, you know what I mean, and that and that's that's good advice for any coach, I think. How long did it take you to find your own voice? I think it all takes us a little bit to find our own voice. How long did it take you to find your own voice, coaching wise? Uh, I, I think it's just kind of a kind of a process, you know. I I think I, especially when I first started coaching collegiately, I was just always kind of the guy, the nice coach that never had to be the bad guy, and then. It took me a little bit to find it, you know, the guy that's got to bark at guys sometimes. That was that was tough for me, and then, and then just to kind of find the right the right mix of that is, you know, I feel like I'm there now, you know. So been at the D2 level, NAI level. You know, what do you love about junior college? Junior college is my favorite level. It's not close. Um, every kid is really really hungry coming out. I mean, they're fired up about it, um, and and really they, they they see they have bigger goals. Um, and, and they can see they can see if they work hard they can get there, you know, when they're in the program. So it's really Well fun. you have two things in play, right? You have pro ball, maybe yep. maybe yep. but you also have four year. And you also have four year, yep, and, and, and so and those guys can see if you're successful in junior college, you can go to pro ball, you can go to four year and, and, and the better you play, the better your stock is and, and to get to come to work with people who are hungry and as fired up as you are, that, I mean that's that's big time, you know, and, and also I just love getting out there and you know, doing recruiting on you know on the actual you know, at the actual game sometimes and and we're in a, we're That's in an out. old school approach. Yeah, it's and, just and I was the same way. I had to go watch. I don't know how you guys do it off video. I had to go watch. Yeah, 
Yeah, and so it's we're right by Dallas, and when we're right in the you know we're a hotbed of baseball, so we're able to. It's just, it's just a good fit. We can we can get good players in here if we work hard, and and, and so it's it's a, it's a really good fit here. What's your strength of your team this year? I mean, really toughness. Um, you know, we a lot of folks will look at it and say we could hit. We we really have one of the best hitting teams in the country, but um, you know we have deep pitching. Um, most of the time we play really, you know, pretty good defense and, and, and we can hit. But more than that, we've played a really tough schedule coming in. We, and we, this you is, do that on purpose? It's mostly on purpose. Um, partly, like, it's tough to find folks to play. Grayson always wants to play. Seminole always wants to play. It's not always easier to find, you know, other teams. But we play a tough schedule. And when we were, you know, we were kind of hovering around 500 coming in, but we played mostly Division One JUCOs that are, that are, you know, premier names you'd know, and and I felt pretty good. We were playing good, but we, you know, when you take those losses, it starts chipping away at your confidence and your and, and guys' egos, and and so to be able to come through that and, and to be here where we are, we, I mean, we know we're in a pretty good spot. I knew after we lost that first game, we'd be fine because we know how to we know how to bounce back and deal with adversity. How do you keep guys focused? I mean, you're you're going to scuffle every once in a while through the point of the season. How do you keep guys centered in and focused? You know, this year, and I, and I can't say I've done this every year, but this year I just really, really stayed positive with them and, and just told them to believe in themselves, and it's, it's made a difference, you know what I mean? Because I, I could see it, you know, I could see it, and there's no need to, guys, you're good, you know what I mean? We're, we're, we're good, we're going to be fine if you just keep being ourselves, and, you know, we kind of focus on, you know, playing, making routine plays, throwing strikes, and really grinding at bats, and if you just focus on that stuff and not focus on the wins, we can get there, you know, and we did, and so that's that's been the most rewarding part of it. You're a really good offensive mind. What are some things that maybe you've evolved with over the years, and then some things that you've kept over the years from an offensive standpoint? Well, I mean, we're we're a little bit old school still. I mean, we're 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 down through the ball, hit the ball through the center field fence. Um, you know, gap to gap. Let's try. Let's try to give ourselves some margin for error if, we, if we're early, um, and, and and that works. You know, what I mean, I mean that really works, man. And that's and that's what that's what we've been doing. Um, you know, I let guys swing 3-0 now if I trust them, and I would have never done that five years ago. I'll, I'll be. I'll tell you that. And I mean, more. We swung more 3-0 this year than we ever have, and we you know we've hit a lot of home runs. And um, but we really we really stick with middle of the field, and. Because pitchers don't pitch inside as much anymore, no. correct? So no. the old school approach still works because guys don't come inside as much anymore. Right, right. And, 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 we, and we believe in it. And we believe in, you know, I think that, if, I think that what you praise is what, is what gets repeated. You know what I mean? And, and, and if, we want, if we want guys to grind out at bats and, and take walks, you know, which are not glamorous and you know, be hyped up about quality of bats, and then we as coaches got to really, I mean, you, you watch me coach a game. I mean, I'm fired up about walks, and I try to give good body language, and, and eventually, I mean, you walk, I mean, I, we're first or second in the country in walks, and we're first or second in the country in home runs, and that's kind of what, that's kind of what we do, you know, and, and we, you wouldn't know by watching these last two games, but we usually bunt really, really well, and, and But and, the park play, you know, yeah. the, the park's playing small it's hard to it's hard mm -hmm. to execute the short game yeah. when the weather's allowing you to get a ball up in the air and run yeah out of the park. yeah it's i wish you'd play small a little bit that way you know <laughs> um with all of our lefties but uh but no that's that, that's what you know that's what we uh we believe in is just hey 
especially if you got if you got some pretty t if you got good hitters, they're not going to throw to you, and you got to really be able to buy in to pass the torch to the next guy. And once you once you can get there as an offense, it's, you're tough to beat. You've been here before. Did you prepare any different this go around here? Well, this is the first time as the head coach, and it's a lot different as the head coach. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that. Um, a lot more distractions, right? A lot more, yeah. A lot more getting ready. A lot more paperwork. A lot, you know, a lot, a lot of everything. Um, you know, not not too much. We we really we really just told them that just be themselves and, and let's go one let's go one game at a time and be okay. We're all right. It's okay. He's the number one seed. He can do it. <laughs> I mean, personally, for you, would you do you do anything different? Personally, I know there's distractions as a head coach here, but did you do anything different to get ready? Just maybe relax a little bit more um, in, in, the, in the prep. Um, we really, even in our district tournament too, um, we focused on getting lots of sleep, staying hydrated. You know, not. You know, I don't want to say that the, the 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 hay was in the barn, but you know, just light light workouts and just focus on being hooked up and, and having energy. And, and you know, we've every morning breakfast optional, sleep in. You know, and and we'll make sure we, we'll make sure you get food in you. You know, and and. And just stuff like that. And, 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 How much has sleep evolved? I think about it all the time. Nobody talked about it back in the old days, and yeah. now it's such a huge part of recovery it's, and health and yeah. performance. Yeah, it's. I mean, in our group messages every night, the bottom line says, "Zzz, easy, sleep, sleep, sleep," and then and then drop, 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 hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. You know, and and, and so that's that's big for our team, and, and they and they buy into it. And, you know, I get eight to ten every night. That's one of the only healthy things maybe I do, but that, I get eight to ten every night for sure. So. What are you looking forward to today? Just watching these guys go out and compete and be ourselves. I mean, that's what I was looking forward to yesterday. Win or, win or lose, I just wanted to come out and show, just play ball like we've been doing all year because that's fun. Um, and so if we can go do that, whether we win or lose, like we can look ourselves in the mirror. Um, but I like our chances if we just come out and be ourselves. Thanks for your time, Sam. Okay, perfect. Here's Steven Cutter, Lansing head coach and assistant AD. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, hey, we were just talking. How great is it here in Enid? It's a, it's a, not only a, an incredible environment at the ballpark, but you know we've been out in the community quite a bit. We've done quite a few things in the community. Went to a lot of the businesses, and everybody is so welcoming and excited to have have teams here. It's just amazing. Hey, I looked on your LinkedIn profile. It says working daily on being present and giving 100% where my feet are at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very true. I think in society today we have so many distractions from our phones to everything else that's going on that it's really important to just be present, be where your feet are and try to give 100%. You miss out on a lot of stuff. I found myself, um, have four children and a beautiful wife at home and sitting at the dinner table and I'm just, I'm, I'm there but I'm missing stuff so I, I, I try to work daily on just being present and enjoying the moments. How are you helping your guys with this piece of it, of being present? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big piece. Uh, we, we started on it as soon as I was hired. Mental performance is one of those things that it's hard to measure so you don't necessarily know how well it's working until you see it working. We, we're probably one of the only teams in the country that doesn't take I.O. Uh, we spend it, we spend our 10 minutes doing visualization. Typically we'll listen to music, 
for that uh, five or six minutes in the air tonight by Phil Collins. It's one of them that they typically listen to, but they're seeing the best version of themselves. I'm not saying it's uh, the thing everybody should do. It just it works for us, and that's what's important. So. Yeah, and I see you have your Brian Kane certificate, correct? Um, and he's meant a lot to me as, yes. a, as a person. Um, you know, he talks about your highlight reel. Is that what you're talking about your guys with pregame? Is their highlight reel? Yes, we started visualizing uh, dogpiling in a regional in August and carried it through January. We would literally be inside or outside and uh, we'd visualize what that looked like. Last year's team was uh, really good, ranked number one in the country, and they did not get out of a regional. And so I knew coming in it was a different team, but I also knew we had to get over that hurdle. And I believed that the mental game was going to be the piece that would do that. I mean, if you had to go back to last year, is that the biggest thing that you would have changed with that team last year is a little bit more of the peak performance stuff? Well, this is my first year at Lansing, so yeah. I was able to look at what last year's team did and learn from that. I tell our team all the time that you don't have to lose to learn, but in that situation, uh, I was, we've, we've got about uh, 10 players on that team that they're on this year's team. so. We just uh, opened up a paper and pen and said, tell me about last season. Tell me what happened. Tell me what you learned. And we learned a lot from that and we built off of that. So. And that's the evolution of coaching now, isn't it? Is yes. asking your players more of those questions and, and having them self-reflect more? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, I think in coaching, you know, if you look at the best teams at whatever sports they're typically player-led teams it's not that the coaches are non-existent it's just that the players are are leading those teams and that's what we have i mean we we don't have a, a team of uh you know a dozen d1 commits on it and we don't have a bunch of superstars we we have what i like to term as overachievers and um, it's it's a true blessing to be able to coach them. Are you showing them examples of other pro, like other sports? Are you showing them videos of, of examples of, of team-led teams? Yes, we've we've watched numerous things um, from the New Zealand All Blacks to uh, just so many special teams, the New England Patriots and 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 the Chicago Bulls and the Phil Jackson era. And we we show them what greatness looks like. I'm a firm believer that uh, leadership is, you're not born with it. You, you learn it, you learn it uh, through others and, and there's a lot, of, a lot of great teachings and a lot of great people in this, in this uh, amazing country and, and uh, there's a lot to learn out there. And so we, we focus on those kind of things. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say we don't spend a whole lot of time on first and third defenses or bunt defenses, we, we invest in the, the mental performance and the visualizations. What other visualization stuff are you doing with them? Well, um, besides the, the best um, version of themselves, we, we talk a lot about uh, going to places. So we started preparing for Enid in August. And so they've, uh, they've seen the ballpark numerous times. They've seen videos of games in the ballpark. They've seen the town. We've, we've done a, you know, a Google, Google walk through the town. We've, we've done everything. So when they showed up, they knew what those cages looked like down there in that garage. 
I mean, they, they, they knew what everything looked like. Now they're just getting to smell it a little bit. Um, and so we, we've done a lot of things like that. We've, we've showed them the anatomies of dog piles and, and how to get out of those without uh, uh, losing some members of the team. And uh, so it's important. I, I, I've said it a few times here. I think if you want to go anywhere in life, you need to see it, smell it, taste it. You need to do it, you know, thousands of times before you ever get there. So it's, it's just a, a huge piece. And the brain's a powerful tool because it doesn't know if Gosh. it's imagined or if it's real. Yes. So that's the, the yes. magic thing about the brain right. is that and phenomenal that you're allowing them to get comfortable because it, I'm sure that when they walked in here, they felt like they've been here before. A hundred percent. And they, they played like that, you know. They were playing the number two team in the country when, and they just, you know, they, it was like nothing, uh, nothing was different. So they're excited. I'm excited for them. You're on the youth and travel side for a little bit, correct? Yes. So have you taken anything from that side to what you're doing now? Yeah, I learned a lot. I started at the little league level. That's, that's where my passion for coaching really started. I was coaching uh, t-ball and, you know, 8U baseball at the time. And I was a business owner and living the American dream. It, it, everything was great. And I started coaching and, and uh, something started itching and I was spending more time coming up with game plans for <laughs> little league practices than I was uh, working on my business and eventually I, I came home and told my wife it was time I wanted to go into baseball full-time and I learned so much from those teams because at when I got into it I was doing it because of the competitive nature wanted to have the best team, wanted to have the best players, wanted to win, you know, whatever trophy or, you know, whatever it was is really transactional at that time. And uh, I, I think through like self-reflection and seeking perspective, I learned that's not what it was about and not what was important. You know, I had some, I was coaching our son at the time and we'd have some tough rides home when he went, you know, 0 for 4 or something, you know, and um, I'm so thankful that I had that and I was able to seek that perspective because I was able to turn that around within a few years and realize what was important and uh, the youth level, it, it's, it's, a, it's such a fun level because, you know, when, when I was coaching T-ball, they were more excited about what the snack was going to be after the game than anything else. And I'd always joke with them, tell them we're having meatloaf and broccoli after the game if you don't focus, you know. So, um, Is that the biggest tip you'd give youth coaches? We do try to send out enough for youth yeah. coaches. Is that the biggest tip, just to focus on the, on the right things and yeah. have a right perspective when you're dealing with, with kids from five to, to 12 yeah. years old, dealing with it, have a better perspective for them. Yeah, I think two words have really guided me and it's that seek perspective, you know, and uh, I use that a ton in situations, just seek perspective, what's really important here. We had uh, a member of our team flew out before our first game to go back and to be with his dad before he passed, you know, and, and you just, there's, there's so many things that are happening. You really have to seek perspective. And at the youth level, with the parents on the fence yelling and you know all that, whether it's at the umpires or coaches or players, I think that seek perspective is, is a huge, huge thing. Youth sports are supposed to be fun. And, and we've, I've taken that from the youth level and we have it at the college level. We have a lot of fun. 
it's not it's not fake it's it's genuine fun and, and they have fun and you know they're gonna they're gonna play the number one team in the country tonight and they're on their way to Enid Axe right now to do some axe throwing you know I want them to have experiences here I want them to to be able to relax and and have fun because that's that's ultimately what sports are are about and even at the college level. And Jordan Bischel at Central Michigan is a great yes. example of that too. I mean, I think he's got a great perspective on allowing players to be individuals yes. within a team concept, but also to be an yes. individuals. Yes, absolutely. On base U also, I mean, I saw you certified in on base U. Yes. How's that been? It's it's a, a big piece of our program as well. We're, we're finding the deficiencies in our players and helping serve them. It's a more individualistic approach versus the team approach, and it certainly makes a huge difference. And I'm, I worked in a facility for you know a, a number of years, and you know I started out just you know pitchers are supposed to finish like this, and hitters are supposed to do this, and and it's so different now that it's you know we're trying to find the best version of themselves and and just trying to help them. And whatever that looks like is probably going to look different for the next next person. So on base, you is is just been incredible. With daunting though, it's a lot of information. So what what have you whittled down out of on base, you really for the program and what's best for the program? Yeah, I think it's just overall the screenings and and how not only understanding what the screenings mean, but then how you serve the player from those screenings. So, How yeah. soon are you implementing screenings? As soon as they show up? Yeah, we do them in August. Yep. Yep. What, which, are you using all the screenings? or We are. Yep. Are you really? Good for you. Yep. Tremendous. Yep. Any ones you feel like more important than the other ones? Or are they all important to find the individual? I think they're, they're all important for certain individuals. Yep. That makes the most sense. Yep. What did you learn in the Northwoods League? Oh, man. How to be that the game that you better be humble, or you're going to be humbled. It's a lot of games, right? I mean, that, that's probably. I mean, it's as close as you can get to a minor league schedule for for your players. Is that part of it because you play so many games? Yeah, and summer baseball is different when you're coaching it, and you're you look at it as you know. At least I think the good ones do. They look at it as it's their World Series. And the players that are coming there, nothing against any of them, but they're competitors, but still summer ball for them. You know, they want to get their innings, they want to get their at-bats, and they want to have some fun and meet some new friends. And, and so there's, there's two different uh, thought processes that they're trying to merge there into, you know, let's go win a championship. And the boys are like, well, we've been going since August, you know. <laughs> I just kind of want to relax, <laughs> hit the beach a little bit, you know. So, Can I catch a breath? Yeah. So I think the, the whole summer ball thing throughout the country is, you know, they're, they're fighting those, those two things. And it's, it's this amazing thing for the players. Um, but you can, you can definitely learn a lot. For sure. I mean, you beat the number two ranked team in the country yesterday, about to play the number one. I mean, have you talked much about opponents? Do you talk much about opponents, or is it just about what you guys are doing? Um, no, uh, we really don't talk about our opponents. We haven't talked about them all year. 
It's not that we don't worry about the team that we're playing. I am a strong believer in getting them to focus on themselves and focus on what their strengths are. And so when we practice or when we do our mental performance or we do anything before games or the you know practices, that's what we're focused on. And I, I've had, I catch them at points wanting to talk about the other team, and, and I'll cut it off immediately. So, um, yeah. Is that I, part I, of great coaching is redirecting? I mean, when you hear, because you're, you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds, yeah. they're going to say some nonsense at oh, times. Boy. You know, oh, is, is that a, the part of being a great coach is, is redirecting their thoughts and, and their words? Yeah, and I think sometimes redirecting your own thoughts, you know. We're, we're, we've had some bus rides lately where there's, there's you know, they've, they've got some loud music going and I'm thinking, you know, maybe we should lock in a little bit closer, but, you know, just redirecting what, what works for them and might not work for me, but it works for them. So the, the, it's, it's both-sided for sure. Had a really good early season schedule. Was that on purpose or just kind of how it laid out? Uh, there's a lot of intuition involved. And I trust that intuition, and I had no clue that we were going to see Mississippi School here. And it just happened to work out, and our players understand that very well. When we came back from that trip, we were wondering, was this the best thing that we should have done? We didn't know. I mean, it's early in the season. You just don't know. Um, and so we started to realize that when we got here what that meant so just just by chance but it was nice I mean Pearl River's an amazing program we saw some good ones down there too you know and it's different it's different baseball any other resources for coaches to dive into that you feel like have helped you well I'd be remiss if I I didn't say I went to my first ABCA in 2016 in Nashville they had 5,000 plus coaches there I I brought my wife Uh, I was still coaching Little League at that point and uh, I was overwhelmed. I sat next to a couple of Nebraska coaches in the front row and I was just stunned. I couldn't believe it and I was sure that at some point I was gonna I was gonna be up on that stage. I just didn't know how you know I, they don't have Little League coaches up there but you know like I'm gonna I'm gonna you know figure it out and uh, that that is really what started it because there, I realized how much, how many resources are out there, and sometimes people are limited because they're not willing to look. But when you start looking and and the ABCA and just what's just what's provided through the ABCA is is stuff that we use absolutely all the time. So it, it's a, it's a huge huge piece of that. Um, there's a lot of others that have <clears throat> made a difference with me in our program, but I would be afraid to leave a few of them out. You know, we, when, when I came in, we were, we didn't have, I would say our pitching wasn't great. Three of our four week, weekend starters this year are all walk-ons. They showed up at tryouts. So we knew we had some work to do with our pitching, not only physically, but mentally. And after a while, I thought, I don't know if they're hearing my voice anymore. So we went and, we went and got an outside of the, you know, of the box, mental performance coach, a guy that's you know, uh, done really well with wrestlers. 
and stuff. His name's Jake Hunter. And uh, what was his message to the guys? Um, he still talks to him a couple times a week. You know, he's it's by Zoom. He's come up to Lansing and done some stuff with him too. But he's teaching them to uh, take their fears. A lot of a lot of times they'll be having pieces of paper in their hat or in their back pocket and. It, it's just been really good because it's a different voice and I, I'm not naive to believe like that they don't get tired of hearing me talk about you know to, to focus on this or not worry about this or you know whatever it might be so I brought in him and he's it's been amazing with our pitching staff so they're getting it from a couple sides and what's his what are his tips on facing your fears he, he he really uh, focuses on understanding what your fears are and then limiting uh, how those impact you. A lot of it comes back to self-talk. You have all these voices in your head. A lot of times people just really don't realize what that, that music that's playing in their head. They're just, they don't realize it. But if it's you monkey can, chatter. Yes, if you can slow things down and start paying attention to what's being said, you can see how your, your, your body's following your mind, you know? And so, you know, I think like a, a, a strong, when you have a good mindset or you have a, a strong mindset on a team, you'll see really good performance. And they just kind of go hand in hand. Like I said earlier, it's hard to measure. And that's maybe why sometimes people get a little bit scared of it. But it's kind of like the I.O. stuff, you know. There's, we've had coaches blatantly tell us, what, can't your coaches hit fungos? You know, just, and. But that's yeah. part of staying true to your own program. Yeah. And yeah. that's why you can't look around it at yeah. what other programs are doing. Yeah. You have to find what works. Obviously, it works for your program. Yeah. And that's where you have to stay strong as a coach. It's like, okay, this works for my program. I can't worry about the outside noise. And, and that's monkey chatter, too, the outside noise from, yeah. from outside really. sources. That's monkey chatter also. Yeah, really good. Yes. Thanks for your time, Coach. Absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. All right, here with Chris Razzo, Heartland head man. So, Chris, good seeing you again. Yeah, good to be here. Um, have you guys faced any adversity this year, 32-0 in conference play? Have you faced any adversity? Yeah, the start of our year was actually pretty tough. Um, you know, we had some of our pitchers who were coming in a little nicked up, and we kind of delayed with them starting. We kind of had a plan from day one. Uh, we started down in Millington very early in the year. Knew they weren't going to be ready for that. The plan was always down in Florida. And even down there, we just we were really trying to figure out who we were. And we lost our first two games of the year, and there was definitely some panic mode outside looking in. We weren't panicking. We were kind of trusting our process. And we just emphasized to the guys the whole time, all that mattered was conference play. And they really kind of took that to heart, and conference play kind of rolled. How did you get those guys back, the guys that were nicked up a little bit? How did you get those guys back? Yeah, so it wasn't necessarily any sort of injury. It was more of they threw a lot last year, which was a lot more than they ever had before. I think Reese Dutton being our number one is a perfect example. He was a two-way guy, pitched last year more than he ever had in his life, went out to the draft league, had a very good summer, threw a handful of innings in the fall and knew all the whole time. He's like, I'm gassed still. I need to recover. Yeah. We sat down and just had a discussion of he was already committed to upstate. There was no reason to push it. The goal was here and always here, so he didn't throw really at all. Three innings in Florida, three innings first week in a conference play, and then we just slowly progressed into last two outings. He's been over 100 pitches and rolling. How long did you shut him down, and then how long did it take to get him built back up to, to throw competitively? Yeah, so it would have been <clears throat> as soon as the fall was done and he committed, 
we <clears throat> took the approach of, all right, let's sit down and start from when we think your first start should be. And then we just kind of worked backwards from that. Um, that gave us essentially how many weeks he needed to be ready to be on the mound and then just kind of keep breaking it down. And so then when we got to the end, essentially we're like, okay, you can take all the way up till essentially Christmas. So that gave him a full three months of just getting with the trainer, doing his arm care program, essentially tightening everything up, knowing the wear and tear is coming again. Yeah. Did they do, I mean, training-wise, what did they do to kind of get his, was it range of motion, was it strength? I mean, what was it where, I mean, because it, it happens, it ha they lose range of motion, they lose strength if they throw a lot, so what was it? Yeah, with our kind of philosophy, with everything we do, our biggest approach is we want to make sure guys understand that fatigue is what leads to injury. And so when guys don't realize what causes them to get tired, well, usually it's, they're weak. There's certain parts of them that have just deficiency. We do different pretest things when they first come in so we can have their numbers, so we kind of have a baseline, which I learned from Josh Cowton back in the day of understanding how important just having that baseline to work off of. Because guys get bigger, guys get stronger, and you can start figuring out some deficiencies of, hey, maybe it's my legs go, which makes my arm drag, and it's just little things like that. I mean, so once he started throwing pens, like what was pitches per week? I mean, how, how often was he throwing pens? How many pitches per week? What were you progressing up each week with, with pen-wise for his workload? Yeah, so with Reese, it was, all right, let's, let's start. When we're ready to get on the mound, we get on the mound, fastballs only. We're not necessarily working in or out or anything. It's just, hey, middle, middle, feel it out. And when we do radar gun things, we like to have the numbers. More so guys can understand what percent. Because it's hard when you tell a guy, hey, 80% here. And then he throws a pitch and it's 90 miles an hour and you're like, hey man, you throw 120, like this math isn't adding up. And so those guys really kind of understanding where we talk about if you can go not max effort and start locating and just working from there, it's about twice a week early to get on the mountain more often just so he can get back into it. And then once we got to, you know, the 90% bullpens with all the pitches, then it was just once a week. Are you doing that with all of your pitchers when they start back on the mound to get ready for the spring with fastball only? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the times, for our guys especially, I tell them all the time, it, it's, it's the comfort of understanding your fastball is everything. You pitch off of that. And we actually do more playing catch with our off-speed than necessarily on the mound. Um, my philosophy has always been that you can throw your fastball most consistent because that's what you play catch with all the time. So I want our guys, when they bring it back into that 90 feet, once you hit 90 feet, it's, hey, start throwing changeups from 90 feet. Because if you can do that and have a feel for it, now all of a sudden it's going to work. Now the sliders and cutters and all that gets a little more difficult throwing it that type of distance. And so then again, it's just about feel and seeing the spin and seeing the mold and understanding. Because again, technology-wise, we're never going to have cutting-edge stuff at the JUCO level, but you don't need it. I said that's when they get to their next spot. That's all a whole new kind of bag of tricks they get to go into and really refine who they are. You know, there's different philosophies, flat ground, off the mound. I mean, how, what mixes flat ground for you guys, if any, or, or mound work? How are you balancing that out with your pitchers? Yeah, so the biggest thing that I've done in my whole entire life with the pitching coaches I've had is every single guy is different. And we really emphasize that when our freshmen show up, that we let them kind of experiment with their own careers because it is their careers. And, you know, I've had coaches in the past where they learned with me on the fly, hey, we've tried this and it doesn't work, so let's stop trying that instead of, hey, I know it's not working, but stick with it. Well, that's not how this works, especially in today's world. These kids come in pretty hard-headed with what they think works and doesn't work for them, but some of them have no idea. And so we have some guys who don't ever do flat grounds ever because they don't like it. They say it changes the shape of their pitch once compared to on the mound. We have other guys who want to get on the mound and throw short boxes. You know, that I'm sure there's going to be guys who take advantage of that situation, and that's fine, and we tell them, like, it is their career. And so if they don't take advantage of the opportunities they get, they got to look at themselves in the mirror. It's a lot easier than to play the blame game on whoever else. Is Billy Mole one of those coaches? Yeah, so Mole, uh, I had him pretty early in his coaching career, and he was definitely a player-first coach. And we would go in and, hey, try this. And Mole was the king of, hey, 
bad idea. Let's try this instead. Nope, that's not working. Okay, you know what? Let's just do you. And then he was smart enough and good enough at his job that as he sits back and realizes what we're actually doing, then he gets to know who you are and then can kind of go from there. Where he knows when to be hands-on, hands-off, and that's kind of always been my philosophy with my pitchers is if they're not comfortable and believing in what they're doing, we're fighting an uphill game. We're not going to win with that. What are some drills that you took from him? Because I, I, I stole a bunch of stuff from him when he was at Illinois State. So what are some of the maybe throwing program drills or, or mound drills that he did that maybe you still use? Yeah, um, the favorite thing I've always liked with Mullen, what he did with our pitchers, was it was just understanding the zones in the strike zone and having the strings all set up and everything. Now, a lot of our guys, some of them don't like throwing to the actual strings, which is fine. But it's just understanding the different quadrants and realizing, all right, this pitch here and this pitch here, it's the same pitch, but it's completely different. And changing eye levels and understanding. And we always laugh, but Mullen was the king of you spike a ball 20 feet short, and he'd go, hey, use it. Well, some guys laugh, but in his head, it was understanding your pitchers. How can you actually use that? Like you just, maybe it's an intimidation factor to the fastball behind the head, or like, oh, sailed on me. Whatever it may be, it was just those type of drills of understanding when you're on the mound, it's a process. It's, I'm stepping on the mound because I'm working on this today. And I think that's the biggest thing where, especially freshmen, they show up, hey, what are we doing today? Throwing a bullpen. Well, no, that's, that's not what we're doing. We have to have some kind of approach of what we're working on today. How special is it to be here, or here's, was here as a player, now here as a coach? I mean, how great is that? Yeah, I mean, full circle, for sure. Um, it was a little unique. I played here, it was still dirt, it wasn't even turf yet. Um, I said it officially makes me old, I think, that it has come all the way back around. Um, but it was one of those things where I told the guys, the experience here, I remember it. And it was one of those things that it, it's burned into my brain of one of my core baseball memories of I remember playing the opening night, night game here, and I was on the mound just like that, and I told them, I said, you're gonna throw that first pitch, and that's when you're going to realize, hey, I want to do this. I want to do this in front of a lot of fans. And our guys really embraced it and understood. And, you know, the atmosphere here is kind of unmatched just what it actually feels like. Any other tips for them to kind of get ready for the environment? Because you don't normally see it during the year. So any other tips to get ready for the environment? Yeah, I told them from day one, our philosophy as a team this year has been we worry about ourselves and ourselves only. And so with the fans, whether there's anybody here or nobody here, they kind of really stay with themselves. Um, it didn't matter who we were playing. It doesn't matter when other teams chirp. That's just not who we are because we kind of just stay with ourselves. And I think that really benefited us last night because our coaching staff looked and we're like, man, Kirkwood had a lot of fans here. We didn't think it would be a factor with our guys, and they had no idea. They were like, yeah, there's a lot of people there. And we're like, yeah, they're all Kirkwood fans. <laughs> it was like they just had no clue that they were even in the stands because, you know, it's just one of those things. We just kind of stay with ourselves. I mean, how do you build the culture, Jay, at a two-year school like that? I mean, obviously, guys are looking at, at pro ball or maybe four-year schools. How do you build that culture of team-first concept? At yeah, that was, that was the hardest thing, I think, when I kind of took this program over is the worst thing for a lot of programs, especially at the junior college level, is when you have success and guys continue to have success at the next level, everyone assumes they're just going to show up and it's going to happen for them. And they don't realize kind of that foundation. And, and we said it before, it's, you know, the last couple of years at Heartland, we've had a lot of shiny things, but our foundation itself was frail. And so we think, all right, I'm going to put this crown on this guy's head and he'll be great. Well, if you're up there with a weak base, it's just going to all fall apart. And so our guys this year, I said, hey, we got to start from the bottom and work our way up. And this was, as weird as it sounds, we were very ecstatic when all the preseason rankings and hubbub started coming out and we were getting nothing. Because I'm like, I can finally tell these guys, like, we've done nothing. And now you can realize we've done nothing. Now, I think the kids who recruited this year definitely makes a huge difference of just who they are and what they are. And it's understanding they have the exact same beliefs that we had. And that was part of the recruiting process. It may not be the most talented kid, but give me the small town kid and we laugh. We play a lot of teams here and you see them in the hotels and they're big. My guys are not big. I love the undersized, stocky guy with a chip on his shoulder. Who taught you your slider? Uh, so... 
way back in the day, back in high school, um, I had a pitching coach, uh, Mark Allard, and he asked me if I ever threw a cutter. I said no. Started messing with it a little bit. He was like, yeah, let's just roll with that. At the time, I didn't realize it was kind of a slider. I get to Heartland, and I'm like, yeah, this is my cutter. And Josh Cowton is like, that's not a cutter, that's a slider. And so we shifted the grip slightly. I always thought then, it was a slider, too. Correct. Like, and then when I saw there, you in high school, I was yeah. like, that's a, that's a plus plus slider. And then Cowton just changed my grip slightly and just had me kind of roll my hand up. So it's like, hey, let's just embrace it being a slider. And then it kind of took off from there, and it was definitely kind of the bread and butter. Where did you change? So we don't have a ball, but I mean, where, how, where did you change your fingers on the ball? Yeah, so the way I always had thrown it before was I basically took with the laces stayed right on the two seam because I was a two seam guy and when I threw my cutter all I did was put my fingers together and just threw it just like before and just had to kind of run off my finger with the slider you just ran right up that outside lace so you would almost be on the edge of that horseshoe and then it was the same philosophy of when you get out front with it it's kind of turned the doorknob that was always my favorite thing that worked in my head where if you took a door frame pretend it wasn't that was there, my dad's yep, grab the doorknob and turn it yep. And it's probably work out and learn it from and so it's one of those things that it's like you know you just turn the doorknob and in my head that kept it from getting over the top and it was the hard firm and let the ball kind of do its work do you feel like that's the key to pairing up breaking pit off speed pitches off the fastball grip i i felt like that was a good place to start with whether it was a curveball four seam grip or two seam slider grip because they're throwing their fastball the mm-hmm. majority of the time do you feel like that's the same thing yeah i think if you look at dutton and Anybody who hasn't ever seen him pitch, what he does really can't be taught. And he didn't realize he had that ability to kind of manipulate the ball. Well, as I start working with him, I'm realizing like, hey, this kid's something special with his talent to kind of spin the ball at high rates and make it go different directions. But if you look at the way Dutton holds all of his pitches, it's small little movements off of one exact set point. Which again, the same thing we talk about with our hitters. It's, you have to have the core foundation of this is what you build off of. The swing may not look the same every time, which is fine you don't want it to be like that anyway. So it's like, you have to understand that adjustability of, all right, if I build it off of this where I'm most comfortable, then it's easy to kind of go from there. Did you bring anything from pitching pro ball to coaching? Did you bring anything with you? Yeah, the biggest thing by far, and I tell these guys all the time, figure out what makes you successful and don't let that change. You know, there's no knock on any organization or any way anybody does it. But when I was with Milwaukee, they were not a two seam organization asked us to switch to four seams. I'd never thrown a four seam a day in my life. And instead of being hard headed, which you can ask any of my coaches, never in my career would I have told somebody, okay, I'll do that. I finally did and it was a struggle. And now I tell these guys, I'm like, you're gonna lose this game, it's gonna be taken from you. If that's the case, make sure it's on your terms, on the what you firmly believe in, this is gonna make or break my career. And if it is what ends it, you'll sleep a lot easier at night. Who'd you lean on when you took over? Anybody for head coaching advice when you took over the program? Yeah, obviously I reached out to a lot of my former coaches. Um, when I sit back and actually look at who coached me, it's kind of impressive. Just from group, special yeah, group. Yeah, and so with Jerry Rashid being my first high school coach, it was one of those things where at the time, I was like, man, this guy's old school. And we butted heads from the standpoint of he didn't care how good I was, he just didn't care. And I remember in eighth grade, first time I met him, he's, hey, Raz, How'd you do yesterday? Ah, oh, two for three. For I didn't ask how you did. He's like, I want to know if you won or lost. And he just walked away. And I think for me, it was like, okay. So having that for four years in high school, kind of that core of nothing matters about you. And then go to Heartland, have Nate Metzger with Josh Cowton and Ryan Knox. Again, that's two pro ball guys. And Metz was the most organized, kind of structured, here's the game plan with everything. And with Knox bringing the pro ball experience because he had just gotten done playing and Cowan being the pitching guy and he was kind of the new school body mechanics. I was getting it from every different direction. And obviously going to ISU, having Mark there, who's obviously climbed the coaching ranks and now there. 
and Billy Mole, it's like, all right, this is kind of a pretty unique group that I can kind of pull from in every direction. Um, but I would say Mole was probably the biggest influence of him understanding. It's like, don't change who you are. It's like, as weird as that sounds, don't change who you are. And I think a lot of guys who knew me as a player are kind of laughing, thinking of me as a head coach. There's a lot more behind the way I am and the way I act, and it's just one of my philosophies of it makes me relatable to them, and they also understand that I'm holding them to a higher standard. Coach Rash would seem like a good mix, and, and you played for him, and I didn't, but it seemed like a good mix of, of old school, kind of hard on guys, but also showed that he cared for the guys too. Yeah, we always laugh. It was, you know, Coach forever, and then it was Coach Rashid, and then he's like, once you graduate, you can call him Jerry, and if you would look at my phone right now, he's the only one in there as Coach. That's still what his name is in my phone. Um, you just learn that he only cared about you as a person. Baseball was a secondary thing. If you were good at it, great. He didn't care. Yes, he wanted you to win. He wanted us to win. But at the same time, he just, at the core value, everything he did was for us to be, as he would put it, men. You come in as a boy, and I want you to leave here as a man because you're going to go out in the world. And it's just one of those things that you don't realize at the time, and then once you're done, you just realize how much he truly, like, actually cares about you. Are you even killed during games? I mean, because you yeah. even killed Tupperman, yeah. you yeah. even killed during games. Yeah, I... Uh, Probably to a fault at some point, but at the same time, you know, it's just one of those things where I don't smile a lot, but I catch myself all the time at third just kind of joking with the guys and keeping it loose. And I think that's kind of our thing where with our coaching staff we have here, it's such a great combination with Tyler Albright is definitely more high strung. Um, you know, being the hitting guy, he is always on edge and you'll see him walking around the dugout. We always say Coach McGinnis is the guy, he is the check guy. Sometimes guys need to get checked and Guinea goes and talks to him and just calms him down because that's his presence. And for me, it's, you know, I'm locked in all week and then game time's fun. And I tell the guys, like, there's no reason for me to yell at you right now in a game. You know, if I need to get on you a little bit, I will. But at the end of the day, it's, we've done all the work, so now let's just play. Thanks for your time, Coach. Yeah, no problem. All right, here with Bill Mayberry. What's your official title for, for here? Boy, I've been called a lot of things. But ballpark director at this tournament would be tournament director assisting the NJCAA in putting our yeah. tournament. There's great help that they send down here yeah. to uh, help us manage yeah. the tournament and all that sort of thing. And so officially, I guess it would be tournament director for yeah. Division II baseball, yeah. but I've got a lot of help. Yeah. You know, this is kind of like your ABCA convention, isn't it? I mean, how gratifying is it running this? Well, when the, our local community turns out like they do, I'm very proud of them. And uh, when the boys come in and they have host families and host uh, civic clubs and that sort of thing, and I see interaction with them, it makes me really feel good, really you, proud. That, that's one of the things you hear from all the coaches that are here is just how great the community is and how much they enjoy the community. And obviously you're here Memorial Day and there's just a lot of great things that are going on here around this time. Right, and actually Ryan, we thought that being on Memorial Weekend that might hurt a little bit, but people aren't working on Monday. Uh, if you if you take your tent to the lake, it gets blown over, and you want to come back to a ball game. Uh, that sort of thing. I mean, the community has really responded well, and the teams. Several of our hosts have even traveled to the teams' homes and spent time with them. So there's an interaction that we do there. Uh, and we try to keep it, uh, you know, a small Americana type, like to get in our pass gate, you say Nana, because Nana's the gal that runs the gate, and they all know her. So we might have credentials or things like that, but once they know Nana, they're in. Players too. So.
When was the first year here? 2009? Nine, yes. Yeah. Yes. How'd you guys get it here? We uh, found out it was up for bids, and we were just stumbling through blind, not knowing how to come up with a number, what we were, what to expect, how to get. We were also in the oil boom at that time in our community, and so we had oil companies booking entire hotels for the year. We just they take every room at a, a new hotel for the year. So we had to navigate through that, and uh, and then and now we've built a, a lot more hotels and that sort of thing, and uh, oil's not moving like it was then. Um, we didn't really know what we're, I had been to a lot of tournaments. I had been to Lewiston and Omaha and things like that as a coach, and so was very familiar. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of places will do this, but we would have a host as I was coaching at those places. And then it's just so valuable, that relationship that players and coaches develop with members of the community. It, you know, it, it might be their local Ambucks club or Civic club or whatever. And uh, I just remember that time, that being a, an important aspect of putting on a good, healthy tournament. Do you think it helps that you coached? To run oh, one of these, no doubt. yeah, because yes. you know yes. what the coaches and the players right, want. Right, right. It's like you, you have these hosts, and and sometimes they're really they're really good, you know. But they might come out there with a schedule of events for you, and I tell the coaches, I said, let me be the bad guy. I'll tell them, no, they're here to play baseball. So, uh, but it works out really good, and those guys, you don't get here without team discipline. I mean, just don't. You can't win that many games and have that much success when, you know, how many teams in the United States? I know there was 350 when I was coaching. Yeah. I'm not sure that the exact number now because there's different divisions. But a lot of these guys have families back home, girlfriends back home, and, and it's easy to lose your focus, you know, when your girlfriend's at the beach and you're in Enid, Oklahoma playing baseball. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. You know, going back to 2009, is there anything you would do different if you had to go it over, or has it run exactly how you want it? I know it never runs exactly how you want it, but is there anything that you would have changed if you had to go back and do it in 2009 again? I don't think so. We were we had leadership from the NJCAA and Mr. Rod Lovett, yeah. who was director of championships at that time. And uh, I can't think of uh, changes that, that I could, right off the top of my head, there's been some long rainy weeks that I wish we might have not got so much rain. When was the first year of the turf? Uh, five, I think. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's been here for a little it's bit. It's been here for a while. Yeah. You know, you're a longtime coach, and but you've been running this. Anything that you've seen here that maybe you would have changed going back and coaching again oh, out of the teams that you've seen here? What what have you picked we're in, up? We're in the office. The we had the press box upstairs. And then we have all the coaches have a table and a, a seating area in here to scout with and all yep. that. But in there is a mini coaches clinic that goes on every day that you get to throw your opinions out there and uh, don't don't get your feelings hurt if somebody shoots it down. And, but lots of plays and things have changed 
uh, the game really doesn't change. There's different ways to talk about it. You're still going to win championships by playing good defense and pitching good. Yeah, you're seeing it here the last couple yeah. of days. The teams that are playing the best defense and throwing the most strikes, they're the teams that are winning. Absolutely. Yep. And that's baseball. Now, our win, and you saw our win the last couple of days, we had the windiest year in the history of Oklahoma this year. That's amazing. So that's a windy year. <laughs> yes. It's the windiest. And the ballpark totally changes. You'll see in a, in a couple of days uh, here. Right now it's still out of the south, not that strong. But it will be just as strong out of the north. And you think you're Better for the left-handed hitters then. Oh, you think you're in a different ballpark. Yep. Right-handers can get it out, but it gets up there high enough to get over that wind. Uh, up in that wind. Talk about David Allen Memorial Park. I mean, just the history of it. There is a lot of history and tradition here with the ballpark, but just talk right. about the ballpark. Right. Well, uh, I had coached in college at the junior college level and Division One and that sort of thing. Um, when I came home, one of the things that Enid is my home. I wanted to raise my kids in this community. And so what I did in the interview to be the athletic director at the high school, they said, we really need a baseball facility. And so I got with a friend of mine that uh, we tried to identify some property in the community or whatever. Well, the thing we found was right in the middle of downtown Enid, which was perfect. It was a blessing. I think there's divine intervention on some of these decisions because we didn't, you know, we weren't that talented at predicting the future. The city had owned this block, they owned the whole block, and they only paid $15,000 for the entire block. It's original Enid Town site. There's a, the original train from back during statehood, uh, or tracks that run through behind left field out there, and uh, then a bunch of old buildings and that sort of thing. So we come up with this idea of, let's ask the city if they'll give that to us, and we'll gradually get it cleaned up and make a ballpark. So it was going to be Grand Avenue ballpark. I don't know how much tape you got here, but this may go a while. Uh, and Joan Allen came by my office, rep the mother of the Allen family, and said, hey, we might be interested in doing a memorial to David, who's a friend of mine. His oldest brother is a friend of all the brothers. There's three Allen brothers. We're all friends, the family was friends, and that sort of thing. We might be interested in, in doing something to help that project out. Well, pretty soon that something turned into make that place really nice and we'll decide how we're gonna pay for it later. But we wanna invest in that. And they did, it's been a godsend to our community. Um, we've had everything down here. It's not just World Series week. The rest of the, the year and uh, all that, we've had fantastic t-ball tournaments or whatever down here. Uh, weddings, uh, receptions, that sort of thing. But the Allen family wanted to uh, memorialize David, who was, like a lot of us, uh, play a little college baseball, graduate high school, now all this time you think you're still going to the big leagues, but you graduate high school, you go to college and you play a little bit, and then all of a sudden it gets, you get a little deep into that college career and you realize, I better concentrate on this degree because there's other guys that 
are playing this game better than I'm doing right now because they're bigger, faster, stronger for whatever reason. Or just the fact that the lifestyle, I mean, minor league baseball is a tough lifestyle. For I think it's set up that reason on purpose, I so it's too. harder for people to make it. Yes. You figure out who actually wants it and who doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you, you see those specimens now that are, are playing our game, and, and I, love it. I, I love it, and I, I like the respect I see that they're, they, they're giving the game. Now, there's a lot of money involved in the game, but uh, this was designated for amateur baseball. There's several minor league leagues and teams and people like that have come Yeah, this would be a great spot see, for a minor league team. Yeah, but Joan Allen wanted it for amateur baseball for the boys that are high school, beginning college age. And we had a tremendous American Legion program in our community at one time. And uh, they still have, now we have Connie Mack in the summer. The high school program just, it, it's really good. Base, baseball's big in Enid. They, they like that. It's big I mean, in Oklahoma. Yeah, and we're right in the middle of football USA. So uh, all of our, a lot of our kids play football also. Yeah. Do you have a favorite memory of the tournament here, the JC tournament? Do you have a favorite memory? Is it more getting ready for it every year? Is that one of your favorite things? It is, uh, and I do get more help all the time. And the volunteers, and the people that paint, and there's things that happen that you wonder, you know, why did that happen, and how was that so easy for us to happen? But, well, you can't pull this off without volunteers. Oh yeah, we have you have to have them. Mm -hmm. And we meet, we don't meet as often as we used to because we've done it a few more times. But um, how nice is that to have the same people year after year that you can prices. trust? You can trust that okay, I, it, it's going to get taken care of. We don't necessarily have to meet on it now because I know that person's going to take care of well, it. Well, we have a big hall over there on that side uh, uh, where the teams, the hosts feed their teams. I might go buy them a bunch of pizza or something like that. And it's to the point now. I, I have a young lady that is the scheduler of that room because everybody wants it and we got to post a schedule and, and that sort of thing. But that's part of the experience of being down here. Probably the most exciting was when our local college won the championship. Yeah. That, had to, that had to be number yeah. one. And we had so many people in here, they were standing 3D everywhere. I mean, we feel like there was close to 5,000 folks in here and we hold like 3,500. Uh, but we have a lot of other areas. We also have an area behind right field and this is a, a, an important aspect of this to the community and to us when we were designing it. Um, it's never locked. So a dad can come out there with this youngster on artificial turf, laid out just for this, take some ground balls or hitting some fly balls, and whatever, and, uh, and have a little father-son day out. Or mom, mom too. I mean. I would be remiss if I didn't say that because that's a big part of it my too. My dad was working. Yes, he and mine was, was too. He was in the old patch. Yep. And so he's out on the rig. Mom's throwing BP yep. at home. By the way, Mike Davenport, a good friend of mine, called you the nicest person that he's ever met. Oh my. So that just speaks to the type of person they, that you are. You, there's there's a, lo a long line of people that might argue with Mike. <laughs> so I'll have to tell him to get up. 
We'll get them lined up and give them rebuttal time. Bill, thank you for your time. I appreciate everything you do. It's awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate your attendance here and, and activity in the ballpark. Enid is a true gem in the college baseball landscape. I'd put it on your bucket list to attend if you haven't. It will also give you an appreciation for the great baseball being played at every level of the college game. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Jim Richardson, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok, CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram, RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.